We're going to be in Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. It'll be up on our Sky Bible on the wall. Um, but I was, I was thinking this week as I was preparing this message that I would say this might be one of the most quoted and least applied correctly sections of verses maybe in the entire Bible. And if you've been in church leadership or been in leadership at all or been a Christian for any length of time, you're going to be very familiar with Matthew 18, 15 through 17. It's the instructions from Jesus to his disciples on what to do if a brother sins against you. What is our job? What are we supposed to do if our brother sins against us? And so that's what we're going to look at. And we're going to take that section of verses, combine it with some other ones, and see the whole counsel of what God wants us to do. Because not only do we not, when I say we, again, I'm in the same boat you are. Uh, We don't follow the step-by-step process super well. And also the end result tends not to be what the whole counsel of God's word tells us to do. So Matthew 18, 15 through 17, if you're there, here we go. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. So this is really specific step-by-step process. And what I want to make sure that we understand is I'm going to, I'm going to look at Mark eleven twenty-five. You don't have to turn there really quick. Okay. This is the, so Matthew 18 is if a brother if a person who believes like you, another church member, Matthew 18 is never applied to someone who doesn't believe. Matthew 18 is not your forgiveness strategy for someone who doesn't believe. That's Mark eleven twenty-five, And it says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, also who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. That's so the second part of that is a whole other message for a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But Mark 11 tells us that if, if you're praying, if you're in your prayer time or you're praying before a meal or you're praying whenever you're praying, and you recognize, man, I've got unforgiveness against anyone. And I, I, I love and equally hate how it says this. It's got three A's. If you've got anything against anyone. Forgive. Like there's no other instructions in Mark 11. Just forgive. Forgive everyone for everything. If you've got anything against anyone, forgive them. We go back to Matthew 18. Matthew 18 starts with, if your brother sins against you. And this is where I get in trouble. This is where I immediately get in trouble in the application of Matthew 18. The verse says, if your brother sins against you. It does not say, if your brother makes you mad. If your brother offends you. If your brother's social media post causes you stress. It doesn't. It says, if they sin against you. And that has been what I've been thinking about and what I've been struggling with is certain things will happen and I'll get frustrated. I'll be like, okay, I'm going to apply Matthew 18 and the Spirit of God says, but was it sin? 
Well, no, it just made me mad. Well, politely, get over it. This is not, Matthew 18 is not what you said that day made me mad. Okay, but what I said, was it sin? Well, no, impolite. Well, get over it. <laughs> and that's where we struggle, and that's why, maybe you don't, but me, I, I, want, to, I want to bring correction to things that, that don't really need any sort of correction. It was a misunderstanding. This is specifically speaking of sins against you. This also says sins against you, not sins against your friend. Well, I know that when you did that, you hurt this person, so I'm going to come to you Matthew 18 style. It's not your battle. It's not your battle. Because all we're doing then is is creating this big whirlwind of stuff that doesn't need to happen because the step-by-step is one, you, when your brother sins against you specifically, you go to them first. And if you combine this one with last week's message, we get this super fun idea that we meet in the middle. This is how it's supposed to work. In a a perfect Christian world, if we were all following Scripture, there would be a constant meeting in the middle. Because last week's was, if you're the, it was Matthew 5, if you you are going to give your offering, if you're going to do worship, if you're going to take uh, communion, if you're going to give a tither and offering, and you recognize that your brother or anyone has something against you, you're supposed to leave the offering there and go and make it right. So you're going this way to the person who you have hurt, who you have sinned against. Well, that person, if they're following Matthew 18, goes, oh, I'm not okay. They sinned against me. I need to go address it. And so they start coming this way. And all of a sudden, you meet in the middle. Is that old country song? You guys know what I'm talking about? Beneath that old Georgia pine. We gain a lot of ground when we meet in the middle. Thank you. I knew somebody knew it. Okay, I grew up on some country music. 61 country, that's where it was at. Um, I got some laughs. I know you all know what I'm talking about. Um, And so we meet in the middle, and it's like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. And you're like, oh, I was going to tell you that I thought you should be sorry. And you're like, oh, I am sorry. Cool, let's not—we can't corona hug it out. So, like, elbow it out, and we'll walk away. That's what's supposed to happen, but has anyone ever seen that happen? Has anyone ever seen, like— you hurt me and I hurt you and we meet in the middle and, and we hash it out without hurt feelings and bad blood and resentment boiling over for months, if not years later. And it's because we don't follow the steps. We don't follow the steps. And, and I'm, I'm beginning to understand that God blesses most what he commanded. I think that's a pretty simple understanding. If we want to be blessed by God, we need to do the things that he's asked us to do. And this whole side-by-side series is about the idea that relationships matter to God. That the best expression of our love to God is how much we love everyone around us. That is the best expression of our relationship with God. Our vertical relationship with God is the horizontal relationships we have with people. And if you haven't noticed, like 90% of life is just dealing with situations and dealing with relationships, and that's why it's difficult. Um, one of my, my great mentors said, things are always great until you add people. The humans, they just cause problems. And every organization has been perfect until you add people. 
I'm people. We ruin things and we don't, we don't do this well because we start with emotions first. So let's just walk through these steps. Step one. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. Now, if you're anything like me, the only time that I ever think about Matthew 18 is when I'm complaining about something to someone who says, well, I think you should probably go tell them. Someone hurts me, someone offends me, someone sins against me. I don't do step one. I do a half-hearted step two, and then they remind me I should go back and do step one. But I've already circumvented step one. I've already gone and shared it with other people. The whole intention of Matthew 18 is that no one else needs to know. And that's where I get in trouble. I get in trouble all the time because I go and express my emotions to someone else and my motive is wrong. My goal is wrong. The goal of Matthew 18 is restoration. The goal of Matthew 18 is reconciliation. The goal of Matthew 18 is not to prove that you're right. And that's what I want to do when I go and I share, because this is what we do. I share a situation with a brother of mine. And what I'm really trying to do is rally them in case I need their support whenever I do maybe possibly confront this person. But I've already messed up. Because here's, here's the reality of Matthew 18. If someone is telling you that you should apply Matthew 18 to a situation, you've already lost. I'm going to say it again. If someone tells you that you need to apply Matthew 18 to a situation, you've already started in the negative. Because step one is not to go tell a friend. Step two is not to go tell your, step one is not to go tell your pastor. Step one is not to go tell your small group leader. Step one is for you to go, they have sinned against me. I'm going to say nothing to no one. I'm going to go to them. I'm going to tell them why I think they've failed. That's awkward. That's incredibly uncomfortable. Because all of us have been taught another verse from Scripture, another passage from Scripture. Why would you look at the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log in your own? And so what we've done is we've, we've elevated that verse over Matthew 18. Well, I've got my own issues, so I can't go to them and say, hey, you, you hurt me in this way, or you sinned against me in this way. Those verses are on an even playing field. If you're on your way to apply Matthew 18 and God reminds you that you've got your own sin issues, deal with that first. Remove the log from your own eye, which is to me one of the best mental pictures I ever have anytime like this giant log sticking out of someone's eye. Like, I don't know why, but anytime I, I preach on this one, like the rest of the day, I'm just going to be thinking about a guy with a, a log sticking out of his eye. I don't know. That's just where my brain goes. But God says, remove that thing so that you may see clearly. That's the whole point is that you can see clearly that you can see, was this someone who sinned against me or was it someone who kind of sort of made me mad and I maybe should just kind of sort of get over it? Or was it an actual sin? Was what they did, did it violate scripture and did it cause me pain and anxiety? If the answer is yes, apply Matthew 18. If the answer is no, Mark 11. If you've got anything against anyone, forgive them. But we don't, we don't, ever start with step one. 
We go and tell our friend. We go and tell our associate. We go and tell our spouse. We go and tell our pastor. We go and tell our small group leader. We go and tell other people, and we completely skip step one. Now, Paul reminds us, and I want you to see this. We're going to go to Galatians 6. Galatians 6. And we're going to jump back there at the end of the message. So if you've got like a little piece of paper or, or dog ear it, if you do that, or put your finger there, because we're going to go back to Galatians 6 at the very end of the message. But Paul tells us this same strategy. It's, the, it's, it's a condensed version of Matthew 18. But Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in, in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, yourself lest you too be tempted. This is a situation where, where Paul is essentially saying the same thing. If, if someone is caught in a transgression, if someone is caught in a sin, we should go and restore them. And the word restore in the Greek means to set a broken bone. I thought that was, I thought that was perfect. Something that is out of alignment, we need to put back into alignment. That is the purpose and the goal of Matthew 18. is to restore something that is out of line. Because we always have to understand that our motive matters most. It's alliteration for a reason because I want you to remember it. Your motive matters most. Romans 8.1, this is from Paul. He says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we are applying Matthew 18 with the idea of condemnation, we have condemnation in our heart, our motive is wrong. Your purpose, goal, motivation must be to restore the relationship. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say this a lot of times today. Your purpose, goal, motivation must be to restore the relationship, to win them back. If you are going to prove a point, if you are going to express your anger, if you are going to make sure that they know that they hurt you, you are applying Matthew 18 wrong. Matthew 18 is strictly and solely for you to express to them that they have sinned against you in a way that is filled with love and compassion and kindness. And the reason that this, we struggle to do this is because we don't have a history of doing this. Not a single time in my, what is it, oh, 19 years of being a Christian, not a single time has this ever happened to me. So am I to assume that I've never sinned against anyone? <laughs> if you know me. So why isn't this happening? Why isn't this happening? If I, if I really think that in 19 years I've never sinned against anyone, I'm doing a really solid job at this Christian thing. But it doesn't happen. But I guarantee in those 19 years I've sinned against someone and they went and told someone else and I never heard about it. Do you know that's how the log keeps getting bigger in your own eye, Right? The log that we're talking about, I mentioned earlier, now you've got that picture of the log sticking out of that guy's eye. The reason it continues to grow is because no one comes and tells you about it. Because we don't have those kind of relationships. We, 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 don't, we don't build those kind of relationships very quickly or very easily. They take time and they take effort. But here's the reality. Here's the reality that, that really struck me this week is that they kind of shouldn't 
If we understand God's grace, we understand God's forgiveness, we understand God's mercy, and we understand our sin against in comparison to God's holiness, it should surprise us none when someone comes and says, you sinned against me. You're like, yeah, probably did. Can you tell me what I said? It shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't offend us. It shouldn't hurt us. Because the moment that we are offended or hurt when someone comes and tells us that we sinned against them is the moment that we forget how unbelievably sinful we are. And that log just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, which means after 19 years, I've probably got some pretty big logs coming out of my eyes because no one's told me. No one said, Brian, when you did that, that sin, that hurt me. My word, I'm so sorry. Oh, and, and by the way, you've been doing it for 18 years. Oh, cool. Thank, yes, that's awesome. Thanks. Wish you would have told me 18 years ago, I would have done something to correct it. If you go to prove your point, if you go to win an argument, if you go to bring shame or condemnation, don't go. Don't go. Because you don't want to reconcile this situation. You just want to fight. And I know because I've done it. I've gone to fix the situation. And I brought my boxing gloves and my mouthpiece with me because I wanted to fight. I didn't want to fix the situation. I didn't want them to reconcile with me. I wanted them to know they were wrong. Huh? I've lost. I've lost. And in fact, in that point, my sin supersedes theirs. They sinned against me and I sinned back. Do not repay evil for evil. Repay evil with good. Step two. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. This is the first and only time you should express this to anyone other than the offender. And this is where we get it wrong. We skip one and do a half-hearted two because we really don't want our friends to go with us to make it right. We just want our friends to know how much this person hurt us. And we don't, we, we've skipped one, and so we go to two, and so we, it says to take two others. Now, real quick, this is not your two besties that agree with you all the time. That's not who this is talking about. Don't go to your two besties or your sisters or your brothers or your mom and dad and gang up on this person. It says, no, take, take two other people who agree with you that that was sin and it caused you pain. Your purpose, your goal, your motivation must be to restore the relationship. And this is where it gets even harder. This is why you should always go by yourself first because it's really easy to come into agreement with one person. It's fairly easy to come into agreement with yourself to restore the relationship. But how many of you have that friend that you got to be careful what you tell them because they'll take on your offense and go do battle for you? They're great friends to have, sometimes. But you got to be careful what you say to them because they're the ones, well, I know if I say that to them, they'll go to this person, and so I don't have to. That's not anywhere in Jesus' conversation. Jesus' conversation is don't take on other people's offenses. Let them be offended. 
And if they don't want to apply Matthew 18, that's their business, not yours. Because here's what happens a lot in this part. So we've skipped one, and now we go to two. And someone comes to me and tells me this grievous, awful thing that this other person did. Well, I'm a person of justice, so I feel it is my right to go tell them how much they have hurt person B. Fun fact, anywhere in Scripture. It's not my job. It's not my job. Matthew 18 doesn't apply in that situation. Because Matthew 18 starts with, if your brother has sinned against you, they have not sinned against me, they sinned against them. It's not mine. It's not my battle to fight. Now, you can apply Galatians 6, where someone who is caught in a transgression, those who are spiritual, go and restore. And that's a little bit different, but the same application applies. If you go, if the two or three of you go to prove your point, to win an argument, to bring shame, or to bring condemnation, don't go. Until the two or three of you are in agreement that this is how we're going to handle this. These are the words we're going to say. Here's how we're going to express the hurt so that we can bring reconciliation. Because if your goal is not reconciliation, you're not applying Matthew 18. And I I don't want to show of hands, but I would imagine within the last three to five years, almost everyone in this room has been told, well, you need to apply Matthew 18. You need to apply Matthew 18. I'm I'm, going to bet... Not many of us, if any of us, have done it step by step. It is the most often used section of verses, but we don't ever apply it correctly. And then step three, tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. Now, this doesn't mean that in the middle of someone's sermon, you get up and interrupt them and express your grievances to the whole church. You bring it to church leadership. You bring it to church leadership so the church leadership can bring that person in and express and explain to them how much they are loved, how much they are wanted, how much they are welcome here, but how much that sin has hurt somebody else. And then it ends with, but if he refuses to listen, listen, sorry, if he refuses to listen, cast him out and have nothing to do with him. That's almost always how Matthew 18 is applied. Well, you hurt this person, we brought two, now we brought you to the elders, and you still don't follow along, shoo shoo, go away. Let me introduce you to other pastors and other churches. If he refuses to listen, make sure everyone knows what they have done so that everyone is safe. I've seen that one, I've seen that one done. I've seen Matthew 18 applied in that way. If he refuses to listen, sever the relationship totally. Those are the three ways that I've seen Matthew 18 actually applied within churches. It says, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Which essentially means we double down on what we're doing. Because now we act as if that person is lost and needs salvation. So now we double down our intensity. We double down in our prayer. We double down in our relationship. We don't let them go. And here's why Matthew 18 is not applied correctly is because we have eisegeted, which means we've taken that section of scripture, taken it out, and not exegeted and combined it with the entirety of Matthew 18. So let's look at what is before and after. Matthew 18, 12. 
this is where it gets really good. This is where it gets really, really good. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? This, this is the application of Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If you've brought it to the church and they still don't agree, then leave the 99 and continue to pursue the one who has sinned. It's not cast them out. It's not ignore them. It's not treat them as if they're awful. It's recognize that they have sin in their life and we're going to continue to pursue them as if they're a lost sheep. And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. That's what comes directly before the Matthew 18 principle that we don't apply. And if we do apply, we don't apply it in good faith. And here's the other thing is, most of us don't believe it's going to work. This, this might be the verse that I think we have the least faith in in the entire Bible. Other than you can tell a mountain to go throw itself in the sea and it will. We really doubt that one too. Although I tried every time I see a mountain. I try two things every year. Every time I see a mountain, I try and cast it into the ocean. And I always try and walk on water every summer. First time I go to the pool, every summer, try and walk on water. Peter did it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen one of these times. It's going to be so cool. It's going to be amazing. Not yet, but it, we're getting there. But we don't, we don't believe this. And here's why I know we don't believe it, because we don't do it. If you actually believed that something was going to happen based on Scripture, you do it. But we don't ever do Matthew 18 because we don't actually think it's going to work. We think that it works better to get a group of us together to form a posse, to form a committee, to bring the grievous sin to the light of the person. Instead of going, they sinned against me, let me go by myself. Well, what comes, what comes after? What comes after? Give you a little setup to Matthew 18, 21 through 35. We're not going to read it all. It's super long. So after Jesus tells his disciples, hey, step one, you go by yourself. Step two, bring two or three. Step three, if they still don't get it, bring it to the church. Treat them as a tax collector or a Gentile. And Peter says, famous line, uh, Jesus, um, real quick, by the way, uh, I'm, I'm going to be super holy because how often do I have to forgive my brother? Like seven times? Because in Jewish culture, that was super pious. That was super holy. If you forgave someone seven times, like you were the, the most spiritual Jewish person alive. And Peter's like, what? Do I got to like forgive everyone seven times? Just like, no, no. That's the baby step. That's the shallow end of the pool. I want you to swim in the 70 times seven. 70 times seven. Which some of my math people are already doing that math of like, okay, how many times exactly do I have to forgive that person before I can be done? The whole point is that it's an infinite number. That's the whole point is that it's a number that you're not supposed to be able to count to, you're not supposed to be able to add to, so that the idea is that you never stop forgiving. Matthew 18, 21 through 35 is the parable of the unforgiving servant. This servant was, 
He owed 10,000 talents, which is a huge amount of money, basically a lifetime's worth of uh, earnings. And he was supposed to be sent to jail, but he fell on his knees and asked forgiveness, and the king forgave him. And then that servant went to his fellow person who owed him 100 denarii, which was not very much money, and he was choking him and said, pay, it, pay what you owe, and he put him in prison. And the king said, I forgave you so much, how could you not forgive so little? That's the context of Matthew 18, 15 through 17 is in the light of what God has done for us, it should be very, very easy to forgive other people. C.S. Lewis says, you've read this quote multiple times, I am the greatest sinner I know because I know myself most. That's why Matthew 18 should be simple. That's why Matthew 18 should be unbelievably simple because we should all be unbelievably humble when it comes to our own sin nature. Paul, who wrote... Two-thirds of the New Testament says that Jesus came to save sinners of which I am the foremost. Paul probably never struggled with someone applying Matthew 18 to him because he understood his total and complete sinful nature. And in light of what God has done for us, Matthew 18 should be the most easily applied section of verses in all the Bible instead of one of the most difficult and if not least applied. Because God has forgiven us completely and totally and without condition and has asked us to simply do the same to everyone else. So if you're still in Galatians, look at Galatians 6 too. Galatians 6 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore, which means to reset the bone, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's, the app, that's Matthew 18, okay? And once you've reset the bone, 6-2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I don't know about you, but, but if, my, if I broke my leg and it gets reset, I'm probably going to need some help walking for a little while. That's Galatians 6.2. When I have sinned against someone and is brought to my attention, I'm going to need people to walk with me. Not to keep me in check. But to make sure I still understand that there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's love, and there's acceptance. Because what we want to do in Galatians 6.2 is we want to make sure that we build accountability partners around this person so that they don't stumble again. In reality, the best way to keep someone from stumbling is to keep them so close, so much in God's grace, so much in your grace, so much in God's love, so much in your love, that they don't even have the opportunity to do it again. Distance creates temptation. We bring people close. We constantly bring people close. I know right now with COVID-19, this is like the most inappropriate message I could be giving. I'm aware of that. But we keep them at least within six feet, okay? We bring them to the six-foot bubble and we keep them right there, okay? But this, this, is, this is one of those situations where over and over and over again, I see, well, they've sinned, they've sinned, they've sinned, be gone. They've sinned, they've sinned, they've sinned. They're no longer part of the church. 
I just, I, I don't see that in Scripture. Well, Brian, it says, treat him as a tax collector and a Gentile. Yes, which is exactly what our churches should be filled with. Our churches should be filled with the broken. Jesus came not for the sick, but those who need a doctor. Not, not for the well, but those who are sick and need a doctor. He came for Gentiles and tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. So should his church. But too often we use Matthew 18 as a weapon. Do this or else. It's not ever how Jesus taught. Do this because I love you so much. Behave this certain way because it leads to this lifestyle which is better for you. Do this because God has something amazing for you. Not do this or else. Because if you're anything like me, do this or else only makes me want to do it more. But if you show me, you walk with me, you bear my burden to help me understand that what I'm doing is hurtful. And what I'm doing is hurtful not just to other people, but to myself and to my walk with God and the destiny and the purpose that God has for me. And he has amazing things for me to accomplish that I cannot accomplish if I continue to hurt people and continue to ruin relationships. Then I really want to listen. And then it shows me through you the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Matthew 18 is about pulling people real close, real fast. It's never about pushing people away. Let me pray. God, first and foremost, forgive me for all the times I have not applied Matthew 18. Forgive me for all the times I've gossiped instead of trying to bring reconciliation. Forgive me for all the times that I've tried to start a fight instead of fixing a relationship. God, forgive all of us. God, give us faith to believe that this is how you want us to interact. Give us faith to believe that this is a step-by-step process that will work. And God, i got to be honest, you don't nearly give me enough step-by-step processes in Scripture. It's usually here, step one, I'll tell you two and three when you get there. But God, this is a step-by-step that we can actually apply, and it seems really simple. But God, it's really hard because we're not great at this. God, we forget. The longer that we know you, it seems like it's so easy to forget where we were without you. Remind us that you're so holy and so perfect and we're just so very not. God, keep us all humble to be able to receive when we have erred and sinned against someone else. God, because I believe it breaks your heart when your people can't get along. God, we recognize there's going to be tension between us and the world. God, there shouldn't be tension between us and us. God, I know as a dad, it hurts my heart when my sons are fighting. I can't imagine how much it hurts your heart to see your entire family seeming to not get along. God, I pray that you bring peace to your body, 
peace to this body, peace to individual hearts. God, help us to be people who forgive first because you have forgiven us. God, this, that quote says, I'm the greatest sinner I know because I know me most. God, I, I, God, I, I pray that here at Harrison Community Church, that Matthew 18 will begin to be applied today correctly with the heart of humility, with a heart of reconciliation, because Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Yes, that is reconciling people back to you, but it's also reconciling people back to each other. God, may there not be a single strained or broken relationship in this body, in your name, for your glory. Not so we can brag or boast, but to be able to stand in front of you as a congregation and say, thank you. Thank you that we are truly a family and we have forgiven wholly because we have been forgiven wholly. God, again, anything that I said that's, that's wrong for my imagination, let it be forgotten. Everything that's for you, let it stick forever. Let us apply this in the name of Jesus. Amen.